This message was originally given at Covenant Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. Let's listen to the Word of God from our Sunday morning service. Good morning, uh, church family. It's uh, great to see you. I'm here with my, my brother Josh Gravasio, and um, we. Uh, it was a little too awkward uh, for me to be up here by myself last week, and uh, so you know. So Josh, why don't you come up here and do this with me? So, <laughs> so you know, not that not that Zach's company was not great, but uh, I'm certainly grateful that. Uh, the more the merrier. Yeah, that's right. But the more the merrier. It makes it a little bit easier. So, look, I, I know this continues to be a very uh, difficult time for us and, and not meeting. But you know, in many ways, we, our church has been blessed because we had only really stopped meeting um, as far as completely uh, for one month back in April. And uh, and resumed May the third, and we've and so unfortunately, you know, um, mm-hmm. not just our church, but our entire community yeah. and the community surrounding right. us have just seen such a spike Absolutely. in COVID nineteen yeah. cases and things like that. And so it's it certainly has had an impact on people, and mm-hmm. uh, and so there are sometimes just out of wisdom and and courtesy and, and things that mm-hmm. um, we kind of have just to you know we just postpone our our meetings uh, just for mm-hmm. a, a couple of three weeks here just to be able to. Uh, allow time for the virus to, to, mm-hmm. to settle and, and sure. in cases like that. Um, uh, overall, there seems to be pretty good news. Uh, mm-hmm. Our folks are recovering. I think so. Things. Yeah. We're, we're getting God. past quarantine mm-hmm. periods now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, and, and, um, and look, just for the sake of protecting people in our mm-hmm. congregation, we won't call out specific prayer requests or names online. We want to respect people's privacy because we don't know who all is, is, is viewing mm-hmm. this. Uh, but obviously, we still have a couple of cases of people. One not COVID-related at all, right? Um, right. And uh, and then of course one that is that, that still remain very um, volatile and fragile. Yeah. And we want to continue to pray for them uh, you know, this morning. So, um, but next Sunday we'll be um, we'll, we'll actually next Sunday we will have a full you know just kind of a, a preaching service uh, next week. Um, you know, some of those details will still will kind of emerge. But what that means for you is that uh, we'll, we will broadcast online. But at the same time, you know, uh, if you're if you're feeling well and you're comfortable and you want to be here next Sunday in the worship center, um, that is available. And so um, so this will be uh, hopefully the last time right now that we'll have um, for, um, for, you know, for, for, for completely, you know, just not meeting at all. That will be this last time. But um and, and the goal is uh, hopefully you know, either the last Sunday of this month or maybe the beginning of February we'll be able to be back together. Mm-hmm. So hopefully everybody will be well <clears throat> yeah. um, by then. So Absolutely. And so this morning, you know, we wanted, well, after, you know, discussing with, you know, Pastor Jason, Michael, and Tommy, you know, I think the Lord put on our hearts to, you know, maybe take a break from Ephesians for at least this week and maybe, you know, a couple of weeks following and so one reason why we chose to do that is because we wanted to address and talk about the current cultural climate. And one reason why that's important is because, you know, it's, it has been a path. It has been a difficult year. Mm-hmm. You know, past year has been difficult with you know, the sickness, the virus, election, you, know, you name it. You know, people are, are facing uh, a dark time right now. And so we wanted to address some of those things and offer a sense of hope and encouragement that can you know, launch you into a different mindset than what we have right now. We, 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 we have a general feeling around our church and even our community and at large that there, there's just despair 
across mm. you know churches or our nations and we are the people of the church you know god's people we we are the people who don't live with that kind of mindset and so today's lesson is going to be focused on addressing some of those things and encouraging us to respond and so if, if you will we would like to begin with prayer mm-hmm. and so this is not going to be like a traditional preaching sermon series something like that. It's going to be more uh, dialogical and so if you will just pray for us as we work through certain issues and things that are present today and we think the word of God has the answers for them. Mm-hmm. And so we want to offer some hope to you. I think it's way. important to dis- to send mm-hmm. a disclaimer to our people that yeah. we have an agenda, but we probably more don't have an agenda. <laughs> so, you know, this is flexibility. Uh, exactly. A lot, <laughs> a lot of flexibility, flexibility here. Uh, so this is going to be definitely, as Josh said, a dialogue and very mm-hmm. conversational. But, um, but please understand that our desire this morning is pastoral. Mm-hmm. It's pastoral because, um, as Josh said, there, there is fear. Uh, there's the fear of the unknown in, in, in many ways. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of Christians, I think, today are just mm-hmm. kind of feeling, um, you know, they're disappointed, they're discouraged. Um, you know, they look at the overall political, mm-hmm. moral, social climate right yeah. now and just kind of, man, a, a bit bewildered. Absolutely. Um, and so, um, but, but hopefully <laughs> this morning um, we'll be able to spend some time examining the scriptures this morning that mm-hmm. will... Help us to um, to be encouraged and, and have hope this morning. So, absolutely, but, yeah. pray for us, absolutely. Let's pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, we thank you for today and Lord, the life that you have given us is truly a gift, Lord, and we receive it and we understand that it comes with a purpose. And I, so I pray, Father, that you help us to identify that purpose and live faithfully for mm-hmm. that. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share and open up your Word and discuss it with my brothers and sisters uh, watching live stream. God, we thank you for this local church, this local body, or having this opportunity to freely open up your word and encourage each other, Lord. It is truly a gift. Mm-hmm. And so considering the situation and the circumstances in our world today, especially here in the West, we need you to work and operate in a way, Lord, to remind us that our, our hope, our foundation is not in this world. Mm-hmm. God, we have a hope that is uh, with you and with Christ, right. a future hope that's real and present now. But this kingdom, Lord, the kingdom on this earth is not ours. Mm. Lord, you're the one who reigns. And so help us, God, to live with that in mind. Help us, Lord, to understand what the New Testament authors are talking about when it comes to eschatological hope. We're we're free, Lord. We're we're free from the domains and death of sin. And with this eschatological hope, Lord, we can live our lives entirely for something different from this world. Mm. So help us, God, to live with that in mind. And I pray, Lord, that the questions that we ask and the dialogue that we have this morning will encourage our people to grab hold with that hope, grab, mm-hmm. grab hold onto that hope, and to move from a, a fear that's paralyzing us, God, mm-hmm. to, to a faith that is active and intentional or mm-hmm. in, in darkness. Mm-hmm. And even as Pastor Jason spoke last week, God, help us to live in the truth in the light of the gospel and expose the darkness, mm-hmm. God. And this, there's darkness that's going on right now. Mm-hmm. So give us wisdom, Lord. Uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word and challenge us, God, in areas of our faith where we are lacking and not giving over to you. Mm. We pray all these things in Christ's most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so what text did you have there? Yeah, so I thought it would be, you know, maybe appropriate for us to obviously open the word of God and read mm-hmm. the text, but why not return to our dear brother Paul and let's, if you have your Bibles or smartphones, you know, turn with us to 1 
uh, Corinthians 15. And we're just going to read one passage. And I think this one passage here kind of captures a little bit uh, what we're trying to accomplish this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50, or verse 58. The Word of God says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hmm. And one thing I think is interesting about this passage is that it follows the heels of, of Paul reminding the church of eschatological hope. That's right. You know, the church of Corinth was a church that was suffering because of sin, and they mm -hmm. forgot about that. Mm -hmm. And one can argue the reason why they fell into those sins is because they lost the hope. Mm -hmm. They lost the hope of the gospel in their lives. And so with this in mind, there is a, there is a reason, and there, there's a call to action with our faith. Yeah. And Paul's reminding the church about that. Our labor is not in vain. No, I think it's a it's a very valid point. In fact, I would even I would even argue that I think the church, the evangelical church in our country today, has also is guilty of losing that. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a, you know we talked about there's a lot of people, um, Christians in particular, who uh, many of them very disappointed over say mm -hmm. outcomes of mm -hmm. elections or mm -hmm. events that have been happening in our culture, the cancel culture. Um, you know, just the, the overall level of hostility uh, against our faith that has emerged and the changes in our country and these kinds of things. And, I, and you know, there, and, you know, I, I want to be careful because I, I do think that um, sometimes even, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a weird duck in the sense that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, so I, I still kind of grew up under the analog culture, you know, I still remember rabbit ears on TVs. <laughs> Uh, and yet at the same time, you know, my life is, seems to be controlled by, you know, a phone. Right. And so, so yeah, so I, so I have that, I, I'm one of, I'm, I'm the last, I'm like a, I'm like a dinosaur, you know, in the sense that I'm one of the last groups on earth that remembers both living in analog on the, the last group that remembers living in an analog age, as well as the, uh, the, the digital age. And so, you know, I think for a lot of folks that are like me that are, say, are early Gen Xers, mm -hmm. baby boomers, sure. the silent sure. generation, right. the greatest generation, right. those kind right. of things. I think sometimes uh, maybe those who are younger, say millennials and younger, mm -hmm. um, can sometimes be, uh, can, can lack sympathy sure. for understanding Absolutely. their feeling of just kind of fear mm -hmm. that they have overall. Because for, because the reality is, the, you know, our, you know there, there once was a time mm -hmm. Um, there, there has never been just this golden age in American mm -hmm. politics, this right. golden age in American society. That's right. a that's a misnomer in many ways. But there, what we can say was that there was a general age in which you know what mm -hmm. um, it was. You know, people stayed married even if they were unhappily married. <laughs> Homosexuality was you know no that's one came out of the closet. That's it was right. a sin. Right. Uh, the the um, preachers and the clergy mm -hmm. were generally respected. Right. Uh, the moral value mm -hmm. was the moral values of our society were generally shaped by mm -hmm. the influence of right. Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture, mm -hmm. and they were upheld. And right? they were upheld. Honor, and, right. and, and in right. fact, it's interesting you say that because you know when you read something like Alexis de Tocqueville's uh, mm -hmm. Democracy in America and the mm -hmm. early uh, and wrote that around around the 1830s, he said, you know, even, even if people didn't believe the Christian truths, yeah. they pretended like they did because they were being shamed that they didn't, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, it's but, the influence of, right. you know, more Christianity. Exactly. Yeah. And so, but, you know, and so you think about all of that influence mm -hmm. over the years, and really, that was the mainstay, even up yeah. until, for the majority part of the 20th century. Sure. And so, it is a bit shocking mm -hmm. and dismaying to when yeah. all of a sudden, you know, anything that you that was once held as normative mm -hmm. 
has all of a sudden just disappeared. Shifted. Exactly. Right. It's That's now right. shifted. shifted. And not only has it shifted, but mm. now it's it's absolutely the attempt is to destroy. Right. You know, right. and and and, yeah. and to right. um, right. it's it's you know anything of moral category mm-hmm. now that is a leftover from Protestant from Orthodox Protestantism mm-hmm. is now anathema That's to right. the culture, right? right? So I am so I, I do think one, we, we have to be sympathetic with those who mm-hmm. are fearful. Because sure. this context, is, absolutely, context, experience. We're yeah. treading yeah. in territory that we've never mm-hmm. lived in before. Right. A lot of us don't know what it's like to live in an environment where our freedoms are right. have right. are disappearing mm-hmm. and things like that. So mm-hmm. we need to do that. At the That's same awesome. time, there has to be balance with this. Mm-hmm. That you you know you kind of have to recognize when the ship has sailed, mm-hmm. when the boats left the dock. Absolutely. And um, and, and what I mean by that is, um, mm-hmm. there the 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 climate. The, the the cultural sociological climate of our age has changed mm-hmm. and it's only going to further get right. worse it's right. not coming back right. i mean you can argue it's never coming it's, back it's not i mean right. and, right. and and i think that that's where christians need to also kind of wake up a little mm-hmm. bit you know and i'm not arguing to be a woke church here i mean that's woke <laughs> from a different reason <laughs> right. uh, from a different perspective but there is an awakening that needs to happen here with right. you know with with realizing that you know um the nostalgia for a country mm-hmm. or for an environment that once was a nostalgia for that is also idolatry. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And that's good it can word. also right. it can also diminish our eschatological that's hope right. because that's we right. we we want to be secured sure. by the kingdoms of men or the kingdom mm-hmm. that we've you know of this world, and it's actually eroded mm-hmm. our kingdom to come. Right. That's right. That's right. I, I actually was telling somebody the other day. I said, you know. Um, Christianity actually thrives under mm. persecution, mm-hmm. but it dies under prosperity. Ah, Christianity right. thrives under persecution; it dies under prosperity. And mm. Jesus talked about that right? in, right. in the parable right. of the sower and the mm. seeds. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he talks about the seed that was fallen on mm-hmm. uh, around the thorns and the thistles. It eventually Choke. got choked out. Choked and out. I think yeah. that we have—I think we've been living in a, in a Christian era. Where there has been significant choking sure. of our faith, sure. choking of our influence uh, <laughs> in, in the culture, mm-hmm. because um, you know we, it's actually been um, um, driven out by our, our own idolatries, yeah. misplaced hope, our own fears, That's our own right. misplaced That's hopes, right. our lack yeah. of eschatological hope right. as well. So right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So within a mile, we have a couple questions we're going to you know try and address today. In relation to you know several books of the Bible, First Corinthians fifteen, uh, Revelation, Daniel, etc. So, let me ask you a question, Pastor Jay. What's the difference between living in a post-Christian society versus an anti-Christian? Well, that's a good question because, um, and this is something I think that is so important. And again, going back to context, and I and I, and I hope I, all of you who are watching can just follow with me here a, a little bit because we we do need to discern the difference between living in a post-Christian society and an anti-Christian society. Sure. I don't disagree with a lot of, the, uh, of, of theologians and cultural commentators who will talk about that we do live in a post-Christian era. And what mm-hmm. they mean by that is, is what we just talked about. Right. There's a, you know, as far as the, who is influencing morality, mm-hmm. who is influencing opinion, who is shaping and forming really just the value systems of our age. Right. It's not Christian. Right. Right. The Christ, the Christianity is not forming those things at all. But but to speak about something and to call it post-Christian is almost to say that those things, that, that Christianity has just, in some sense, just lost mm-hmm. its influence. Okay, mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. But it's even further than that. 
there's also a campaign by the new regime of, uh, uh, to basically eradicate Christian influence, right? Um, you, you know, what, what has been fascinating to me is, is Christians have, for the first time, are having to be forced to grapple with concepts that have been around for a while, but they're just recently hearing about them, say, for, since 2014 and 15. And it's mm-hmm. things like, you know, these concepts of white privilege and mm-hmm. uh, critical theory and then critical race theory and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, queer theory and uh, these various things, right? Intersectionality, those things. Now, those are, those are concepts that I, I'm going to venture to guess that probably even for a lot of folks in our church, these are things that they've been hearing about recently. They're concepts that have been around for a while, right. but they've only been popularized really within the last five or six years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of a sudden now we're hearing these things for the first time. But I do think it's important for, for if I could, just take a few minutes to kind of outline a trajectory. Because sure. like you said, okay, context is so important here. But one of the things we have to understand is that these ideas are, first of all, they come out of a Marxist culture. It's a, they are truly Marxist ideas. Um, you know, Karl Marx, Frederick Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto. And of course, you know, Marx had basically um, talked about an oppressive class uh, and, you know, versus the victim class. And he talked about this with respect to the bourgeoisie sure. and the proletariat, right? The bourgeoisie were those who were the, uh, the capitalists, those who were the employer, so to speak. The proletariat was the common worker, you know. And eventually what they had hoped for was that the working class was going to eventually rise up and uh, they would revolt and essentially uh, take over the bourgeoisie. Um, and, um, and then, you know, as a result of that, you know, you would have the, in, uh, the introduction of communism in itself, right? Well, all that changed in World War I because to Marx's surprise, uh, in World War I, people didn't organize themselves by working class. They organized themselves by nationalism, you know. Mm-hmm. So people joined the French army, Germans, the German army, yeah. you know, or English yeah. army, you know. Yeah. So it was, and so, and so you had a lot of, um, you had a lot of uh, people who were communists, committed communists, who were sitting around after, during all the results mm-hmm. of World War I and things like that, who were answering the questions of, well, why did this not work? Why, mm-hmm. why was there not the revolution that should have happened here? Mm-hmm. And one of the key guys in this was Antonio Gramsci. And Antonio Gramsci was an Italian socialist, Italian communist who was actually thrown in prison. And one of the things that Gramsci did was he actually wrote out his own ideas. And his ideas were, he said, look, I mean, you're not going to solve these problems through trying, you know, through economic solutions, which is what Marx's failure was. Instead, he advocated for something or what he would later call the long march. And the long march was essentially, if you're going to change society and change it to a communist society, you actually have to do what he called the long march through the institutions. And those institutions were things that were culture forming institutions. So you've got to be able to, and you've got to be able to infiltrate and change mindsets of things like school. So education was huge, right? Media or entertainment. You've got to be able to do a, you know, you've got to, um, basically every institution, even churches, Mm -hmm. seminaries, um, businesses, corporations, all that you had essentially, um, you had to change ultimately what people considered was normative. Sure. That, yeah. And so, and once you could change what's normative and then, then all of a sudden you could be successful there. Well, after that, you know, you had, and, I, and I'm flying through a lot of history here, mm-hmm. but because I know a lot of people might start, you know, dozing off or, you know, but, uh, We're so good. We're that's good. right. But, um, but then, you, you know, along came after world war two, 
you had what was a rise of the Frankfurt School, mm -hmm. um, people like Herbert Mokusa, and um, where you had these guys who essentially started introducing things like critical theory mm -hmm. and things like that. And you had um, a whole host of, of, uh, of even influences from, say, Sigmund Freud and the, and the popularization of ideas from guys like him and Alfred Kinsey and, the, and their followers that, you know, that really what defines a human being is, say, is mm -hmm. their sexual identity sure. and those kinds of things. Yeah. So, but what was interesting was that Marcuse was able to take a lot of those ideas and some of the people behind them were able to take some of those ideas of communism and Marxism and were able to start actually, they, they had a unique opportunity to hijack a very critical movement that happened in our country. And that was the civil rights movement and, mm -hmm. and, and that ended in the, the 1964 civil rights legislation, right? But what they did was they, 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 they took that movement and basically started trying to, you know, uh, create other categories or trying to group people in other victimized classes, right? And so, um, so essentially, you had whole groups of victims that were, uh, that, that I mean, basically, even Herbert Marcuse himself said you had to convince people who didn't know that they were victims that they were victims. Mm -hmm. And so you had this rise of critical theory, right? So that ultimately now the, the, the oppressors of society is not the capitalist, say the bourgeoisie that Marx said. Mm -hmm. The oppressor is now ultimately it's anybody who mm -hmm. enforces a moral, sure. who, who enforces moral norms. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's the Protestant church. It's, mm -hmm. the, it's Christianity. Right. Yeah, right. Christianity right. was forcing normal, normalization uh, norms of what is right and wrong mm -hmm. with respect to sexual ethics. Christianity mm -hmm. was, in, was the one informing, you know, family and children and mm -hmm. what, you know, and, you know, ethics and broader culture and these kinds of things, you know. And so these are, um, so what happened was, is that now the church became the oppressor because ultimately if, if, mm -hmm. if you're a LGBTQ or if you're a, 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 a minority race, so to speak, mm -hmm. or any other kind of protected class, you know, you know, uh, whether it's sex, disability, sexual orientation, all those things, they were successful in being able to get an entire society or groups of people to begin thinking of themselves as victims. Mm -hmm. And in this case, they're now the new proletariat. Mm -hmm. And the church itself, uh, Protestant Christianity, is the bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. It is the, the oppressor, oppressor. Yeah. that has to be overturned now, right? And so when you talk about concepts like white privilege, for example, when you talk about things, you know, just, just with respect to, um, you know, critical race theory and things like that. All those people, number one, they, they don't, they don't see, uh, they do see the historic influence of Protestant Christianity mm -hmm. as being the problem. Mm -hmm. That is the problem. Right, right. And it's a problem that they ultimately, it has to go away. Right. And, um, and so when, so that, that's why I'm saying that we can't speak about it's post-Christian in a passive mm -hmm. sense that Christianity is just something that is just no longer influential. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. The new cultural warriors sure. of, the, of the new, you know, uh, value regime right. is not going to be satisfied mm -hmm. until the oppressor Completely is right destroyed. Right. That's, That's exactly right. That's right. And in this case, it's going to be Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, and so, or, or, and, and at least well, what's, what's going to be left over is some kind of a, 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 a such a watered down weak you know uh, version mm -hmm. of Christianity um, that essentially is non threatening right mm -hmm. or it just 
incorporates into right. whatever this value, new value system is. Yeah. Please into the world. Which has been what's the problem with mainline denominations, yeah. right? I mean, we, yeah. we have seen mainline denominations just cripple and right. crumble. And they're, you know, I mean, I watched, somebody sent me a video today. I watched a video of a church mm-hmm. that had a seven-year-old boy who was, and they were celebrating his coming out and identifying mm-hmm. as a girl and stuff. And, they, talking about. and all this stuff. And, you know, so you have... You know what so-called churches now mm-hmm. uh, celebrating you know the LGBTQ agenda, the transgenderism, mm-hmm. which we all know there's no such thing as transgen- transgenderism. Uh, gender is assigned by God at mm-hmm. birth. Um, and, but you have all of these kind of celebrations that are going on, and that's that version of the church is okay. Mm-hmm. But Orthodox Protestant Christianity right. that is biblically formed. Mm-hmm. That we are that is um, um, that that advocates a strict biblical view of sexual morality, um, the natural family, children, um, you know, uh, individual freedoms as opposed to group freedoms. Sure. Because sure. right now it's yeah. not right now. That's what people didn't understand too. The, the, this new regime does not care about individual freedom. Mm-hmm. It's about group freedom, mm-hmm. and the group and the freedom of the group, the oppressed group, is greater. Of concern right. than the individual freedom, so they're willing to persecute right. that and oppress that. So right. that's so that is an anti-Christian environment, mm-hmm. which is why I'm saying we, we really need to kind of wake up mm-hmm. and realize that um, yes, things are bad, mm-hmm. and they're probably going to get worse. Right. In fact, I expect they will get worse. Mm-hmm. I, I have a very little hope from a socio-political climate perspective mm-hmm. that things are going to get any better for Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an important distinction to be made, too, because, you know, if we hold on to this post-Christian mindset, then we're going to fail in interpreting the current times. And it's going to reduce our understanding of the times to, okay, we can save this present future. We, yes. we can save this present, you know, cultural climate, which is not necessarily the, traje- the trajectory of where we're going. It seems like everything is moving towards an anti-Christian society. Mm-hmm. But if, if we were, have been reading our Bibles carefully, one thing that's interesting is that this is exactly the society where the first century church was brought in. Absolutely. They lived in an already anti-Christian society. But you think about John's letter, uh, his, his, his revelation to the churches. He's writing to a church already living in an anti-Christian society. That's right. But the premise of the book gives an eschatological hope and how to live in spite of this anti-Christian rhetoric, right? Um, so I think you're right. It's definitely important to understand, at least for us in the church, is our responsibility to see this this current cultural climate as anti-Christian. Well, and move forward. And l- l- let me pick up on what you just said, though. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, you know, you actually wrote on this. Mm-hmm. You wrote on right. Christian uh, persecution among first-century Christians or whatnot. So I'm right. actually very interested to hear your thoughts yeah. on some of this. But, um, but the the, the the context that we're moving into is exactly the context Christianity came out of, That's right. which is an anti-Christian environment. I mean, for crying out loud, you had the uh, Peter and John, yeah. uh, you know, were, uh, you know, I mean, they were accused. So was Paul. All of them were accused of saying, hey, look, they're running, you know, Paul's running around preaching yeah. about there's another king besides right. Caesar. That's His right. name is Jesus. That's and, right. And, and, and Political conflict, right? And and the reality is, it was considered insurrection. That's right. That's um, right. You know, I, I was. Uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier this morning. I was actually as a part of my just sort of my time in the Word this morning. I found mm-hmm. myself also drifting over and reading the Didache, you know, which uh, and reading the martyrdom of Polycarp, you know, and um, and here, you know, I mean, Polycarp was hunted down. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, like a dog, yeah. you know, and, and, and even, you know, by, you know, the Roman regime mm-hmm. because, because he was a Christian and because right. he would not. His moral obligations. That's right. His, his you know, his allegiance to the gospel. That's exactly Christ. right. And he That's would right. not swear allegiance to Caesar, right. you know, That's and, right. yep. you know, that, but, and for us, and that's what I'm saying, for so many of us, we're, we're not used to that kind of context, you know. But that is the context that we're moving into. And, 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 and maybe we'll have a chance, we'll talk about some what I think are new forms of persecution that will be coming for the church or whatnot. But, but yeah, but this is the environment the early church was in. That's right. Yeah, and let's just try to paint a picture of what persecution looks like or looked like in a first century church. You know, oftentimes when we think or we hear the word persecution, we go straight to martyrdom. Which is essentially, I mean, that's right. We, we have the death of the, the disciples of Christ. We have the death of Polycarp, Ignatian, all these other guys. But what's interesting is if you read the book of Revelation with a broad understanding of persecution, martyrdom is just one one result or just one thing that Christians face. There, there are actually other things as well. If you read John, excuse me, if you read Revelation 2, John talks to a church facing tribulation and poverty. And so oftentimes in persecution, uh, the church faces persecution, what they will lose uh, in that society is economic law, or the economic gain. Uh, one reason for that is because in that society, an anti-Christian society, Christians were losing the ability to uh, take a loan out. Uh, they were losing the ability to get certain jobs. They are losing mm-hmm. the, the, the ability to provide for their family because of their faith. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that the whole system was structured in a way to specifically attack, attack that class, mm-hmm. the Christian class. And so it would strip away Christians' financial means and gains in life. And that's crazy thinking about it. But John encourages the church that in spite of all those things, you need to hold on. Absolutely. You need to hold on because if you hold on, you will prove yourself to be a follower of Christ. Other examples include exile. You know, John mm-hmm. was exiled to, to Patmos, and so, you know, some Christians are facing that. Imprisonment, false accusations. And one thing I thought was interesting, in an anti-Christian society, the court cases were actually bent against Christians. Yeah. And so in the first century, you would have court cases where if it was between a Christian and a pagan, the cases would be bent towards uh, or against Christians, so mm-hmm. they will lose the cases mm-hmm. because of their faith and affiliation to Christ. And so when we think about persecution in an anti-Christian society, it seems like our society is moving towards adopting a mindset that attacks everything that's Christian. I agree. And right. uh, I even think about um, in Hebrews chapter 10, um, beginning in verse 32, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. I think this is a great passage for you all to just take a look at mm-hmm. um, here, because speaking about Christians who are in Ephesus, Mm-hmm. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, uh, the writer says, remember the former days when after being enlightened, in other words, being enlightened with the gospel truth, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, mm-hmm. partly by being made a public spectacle right. through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, mm-hmm. which I, I love that because there's a, not, not only were Christians experiencing persecution, but there were other Christians coming alongside to support them, to yeah, help them. Yeah, and this is, right. They were sharing with that's them. Right. They were sharing in these mm-hmm. sufferings with them, mm-hmm. which is, tells us something about what the church's responsibility right. is in this kind of time, right? right? right. Verse 34, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted mm-hmm. joy. And look at this one. Mm-hmm. This is one that ought to challenge us. That's good. 
and joyfully accepted the seizure of your property, mm. knowing that you have right. for yourselves a better possession, mm. a lasting one. How about that? Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's the question. Yeah. I think it's a legitimate question for the church to, to ask itself today. Would we mm-hmm. willingly and joyfully accept the surrender and seizure of our property because we okay. truly believe? That's right. Because by faith, we believe we have a greater right. and better lasting possession that is to come. That's, right. that's, a, that's a powerful question. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and, it's, and I, you know, it's scary to me. I mean, it's really scary if, if people who say that they're Christian mm-hmm. don't really do a deep introspection in their mm-hmm. heart and mm-hmm. ask that question and say, man, could I, that's right. could I really that's right. accept that? Yeah. I, I have to insert one of my favorites. Bring them up. St. Augustine. That's right. Um, and I don't mean the town in Florida. Saint, I know we talk about St. Augustine, Florida. It was actually named after a person, believe it or not. That's right. So, uh, but, but, but Augustine. Um, some of you who know me, you know that I have a particular uh, just love for Augustine. Augustine was a, he was a uh, church bishop of Hippo. And um, he was in the 5th century, so in the 400s. And Augustine had the unique time that he lived in, which was the collapse of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that so just captures me about Augustine was he was having to answer questions that right. as a pastor, man, mm-hmm. as a pastor, I appreciate the yeah. way he answered them. I mean, he was having to ask answer questions like people, because people were asking when the Roman Empire fell, they're saying, man, why were Christian women raped mm-hmm. and tortured like the pagan women? Where was God in that? Uh, why did Christians suffer like the pagans, you know, like the Visigoths that were the attackers in the city? I mean, he's having to answer these things, right? And these are hard questions that have to be answered or whatnot. But but I appreciate, you know, as a pastor, I appreciate his pastoral responses and things like that, you know. But one of the things that was also asked, you know, was generally... Uh, kind of like the question that people would ask today. Why do good things right, happen? Right. Why do bad things happen to good people, right? And of course, that's a... Faulty question sure. by itself because mm-hmm. ultimately there's only no one, one only been one good person, <laughs> that's right. and they crucified him. Right. So that's I mean right. that was uh, the reality, right? Um, but Augustine says, "Look, you, you know, yes, uh, we have to we have to understand the 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 um, just the the civil the, the sociological disaster mm-hmm. that we endure. We have to understand these things um, from God's perspective." And, and ultimately, this is what's crazy. He even says that the collapse of civilization is a benefit to the church. Mm, mm, yeah. Think about I, that. Man, please elaborate. Yeah. I mean, the, the collapse of civilization mm-hmm. is a benefit to the church. And here's one of the things that he says. He said, as for the good things of this life and its ills, God has willed that these should be common to both the Christian and the non-Christian that we might not too eagerly covet the things which wicked men are seen as equally to enjoy. So the first thing that he points out is that, you know, we have a problem that that both the unbeliever and the believer have have a problem in times of prosperity. We are guilty of covetousness. That's right. And and that coveting can lead to a misplaced Mm -hmm. hope. That's right. We are placing our hope in temporal things that ultimately Christ is going to destroy as opposed to the enduring kingdom that Christ is, is establishing and will permanently establish when he comes again, right? Uh, and I think that's so, uh, so helpful there. But the other thing that leads to this, Josh, I think is so important for us that Augustine points out is what you talked about, and that is 
we lose our ability to be able to be influencing in the culture. And Augustine diagnoses this as well, too. And I think this is important for everyone to listen to. He says, um, he says well, let me, let me back up. Last week, I spoke on Ephesians chapter 5 and talked about in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, we are given two imperatives in that chapter, in, the, in that verse. The two imperatives are this. One, we're not to have any kind of fellowship with darkness. As, absolutely. Right. We, are, we are living in the light of Christ. We are to walk in that light. We're not to have any kind of participation or fellowship with the works of darkness. So there's a so there's a, there's a defensive strategy that we're got to have. We've got to we have to protect our walk and make sure we're walking in the light of Christ. The second one, though, he says we have to rebuke the, the works of darkness. We have to rebuke the works of darkness. We have to be able to know what the works of darkness are and call them out for what they are. And and that's exactly what Augustine says was not happening in his own day. He actually chastises the Christians and says, "Look, that's right. you guys were you, you didn't you didn't rebuke the darkness. In fact, he says um, you instead um, he said rather than reprimanding or uh, reprimanding rather than teaching rather than admonishing them, he yeah. says and it, rather than doing that we that you talking about Christians then you shrank back from that labor because mm-hmm. you were either ashamed yeah. or you were afraid to offend them." Or you were fearful to lose good friendships, or by 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 offending people of this world, they mm. should th- that should stand in the way of some of your own advancement or some worldly matter that you hope to achieve. And either way, he says it was all done that your cowardice to do that was all to satisfy your mm. your your disposition towards covetousness. Yeah, think about that. That's right. And and, and and that's one thing I think. Because what are we protecting with that kind of mindset, right? Yeah. It sounds like essentially it's an earthly kingdom that it, we're trying to protect. Well, that, that's exactly right. Versus um, well, that's spiritual. Well, that, that's exactly right. And and so, I mean, here, um, and, and, he, and he goes on to talk about, he says that we abstain from this kind of work because of our own fear mm-hmm. out of our own safety right. or reputation uh, because... Mm-hmm. We like we actually like the flattery and the respect of men, and we fear mm. uh, judgments of the people. And this is something else too. And we fear pain or death yeah. of our body. And he says, he says, all this is to say. Mm-hmm. And here's and here's what I would challenge. I challenge all of us. Okay, we give money to missionaries. Mm-hmm. We talk about preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. We talk about that we do this because we're to love yeah. sinners. He yeah. says, but the reality is by us being silent on these things, he says, our non-intervention is mm. the result of selfishness, oh, not of love. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, result of selfishness, mm. not of love. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that, you know. Well, let's, let's unpack that for a second okay. because, yeah. you know, I'm just thinking about what, you know, Augustine is implying there. You know, we, we live in a, we do, we live in a good nation in a time where we have so much freedom mm-hmm. to worship, to read great books, to, to study, to go to, I mean, et cetera. We have so many resources at our disposal. That's right. But one can argue that the church in the West, especially in the past couple of decades, even going even further, we probably have squandered those things. No, oh, we have due to selfishness, yeah. right? Terrible, terrible stewardship. Absolutely, uh, we have we have squandered those gifts in in many ways, and um, and you know, and it's so sad because I, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that has been revealed, that at least, and look, I, I, I 
I'll, I'll probably stand to be people will criticize me over making this this comment, but um, you know, but the one thing that a virus has shown us and that an election has shown us is the church by and large has misplaced eschatology mm-hmm. and misplaced fear. Mm-hmm. Our fear, uh, our fears over the loss of mm-hmm. our own, uh, you know, our, our, our fears of economic privation, right, right. our fear of death, mm-hmm. yeah. our fears of sickness, our fears of all those things are in, in many ways, um, the, the world watched the church cripple in that fear mm-hmm. Um, as, as much as anybody who was not a part of the church, right. I mean, and I, and, and I think that that's something we have to, we, we, we have to really consider, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, is what, what is, what is, what are we communicating to the world? Yeah. You know, that's I right. mean, and, and look, that does not mean that we don't take viruses seriously. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't take uh, protection of people mm-hmm. seriously. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean any of those things or whatnot, but man, but these are not, but man, to be gripped by fear, mm-hmm. to be controlled by that's that. Right. Um, and to and to um, mm-hmm. and in many ways, um, as you have shared from the pulpit many times, that likely that most churches are going to see a third de- mm-hmm. of decline mm-hmm. in their attendance. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And what it revealed was that well, whatever whatever Christianity that people had to begin yeah. with was yeah. pretty fragile, right. Right. and essentially the rest of it just got you know the virus killed it off too right. you know? right. yeah. unfortunately you know and but our churches and are are suffering as a result of that you know but um, but yeah we haven't done a very good job there i um, but i think what's interesting too though is that while that is definitely true for us in the church in the west you know that the gospel and the word of god addresses this mm-hmm. and it has been since the first century sure, you know there's a reason why paul addresses the church to restructure our minds and the things of the kingdom of god and and, and operate with a hope that is eschatologically set on the things of god not in this mm-hmm. world and so i think for us this is what we're going through right now with the virus the election everything this is just a wake-up call mm-hmm. It's an invitation for us to wake up, reevaluate certain things, and also understand the times. You know, even mm-hmm. Jesus chastised the Pharisees who understood the times, but they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Today is an invitation for us to understand the times and see, okay, Lord, we're going in this direction. How can we as a church, a local body, impact where we are right now? Mm-hmm. And th- this is where our faith becomes active. That's right. And we have to move from this, this sense of fear that we have generally to a sense of faith that's specifically set on the gospel of Christ. Absolutely. So why don't we take a look at somebody who I think is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. And let's just talk about the, uh, Daniel for sure. just a moment. Absolutely. So maybe even looking, looking at the book of Daniel for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Now, for our men that we've been going through the Friday morning men's Bible study, we have been, you know, we started the book of Daniel. And uh, <clears throat> we actually just kind of recently finished uh, Daniel chapter 1. So some of our men are going to be familiar with some of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think Daniel is such a great example of this kind of time frame that, that we're living in. Um, mm-hmm. Daniel is a, Daniel's a man who, in this case, you know, he became the minority. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, uh, he was captured by the Babylonians. He was captured by Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, uh, and this all happened, you know, early on. I, um, one of the, it was amazing. Uh, God raised up Daniel. Daniel became extremely influential in, Neb- in, Neb- in the Babylonian government. And, yeah. and really it was because of his exaltation in that position that he was able to protect the interest of the Judeans mm-hmm. who, had, who would later come you know, right. uh, in the following two ways. But Daniel, but before all of that, here was a, here was a Daniel, here was a young man. 
He's, he and his friends were captured. They, and by the way, they were all of the class of nobility and rulers. Right. Right. So, you know, this was the upper class. They you know, influence. Yeah, they, they had influence, <laughs> right? right? Uh, mm. Nebuchadnezzar captures them, mm. brings them over uh, to the land of Babylon. And what he does is essentially he puts them into uh, a college class. I yeah. mean, he, yeah. he puts them under an education program that is fully meant to indoctrinate Daniel and his fr- and yeah. his three friends, yeah. right? right? And I know that everybody calls them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or whatever, <laughs> but uh, but the reality is, you know, that is not who um, they were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these men uh, were, first of all, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And that's mm-hmm. a very important point. So, uh, in fact, let's look in Daniel chapter 1 for just a moment. The king, uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, young men in whom had no defect, were good-looking, showing intelligence, and every branch of wisdom. They were endowed with understanding and discerning of knowledge, who had the ability for serving the king's court. And he ordered to take each of them, and look at this, and teach them the literature, language of the Chaldeans, the king appointed for them daily rations of the king's choice food from the wine which he drank and appointed that they mm. should be educated three years, at the end of which they would enter into the king's personal service. And then beyond that, he says, now among them was the sons of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, uh, Meshach, and Azariah, Avenigo, right? Mm-hmm. So, now you're the you're an Old Testament guy, which I love. And uh, but one of the things maybe you can help explain to our folks what is significant about changing someone's name. Right? So I mean, when you look in, in, in Scripture, whenever there is a name change, it implies like identity change, and That's oftentimes right. a faith change. You think about Abram being renamed to Abraham; he's been converted into the law of the Lord or the you know worship of the true one God, Yahweh. Okay. Here with Daniel, there is a shift from. <laughs> uh, uh, Israel, Israeli religion to now a foreign religion, That's Babylonian, right. um, uh, uh, Babylonian religion. That's right. Uh, under, uh, well, and, and yeah. even Babylonian culture, right? That's I mean, right. they, they have true. to. I mean, he, if you look at this, I mean, this three-year program is to introduce them. It, mm-hmm. it, it was they're being indoctrinated. This is a full indoctrination. Right. Yeah. This was in in in. Uh, listen, everyone who's listening, please please hang on to what I'm about to say here because. Mm-hmm. They were taken out of their homeland. They were to be. They were to learn all the literature of the Chaldeans. They were to learn their sciences. They were to learn their politics. They were to learn their language. And they were even to have the name change. Right. Essentially, the goal that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do was make them forget everything right. about their Hebrew heritage. That's right. Forget it all. That's right. He completely was trying to reorient these guys into ultimately forgetting anything about that's their right. homeland, right? That's right. Um, and that's, that, that was the intent of, of Nebuchadnezzar by putting them through this program, mm-hmm. right? And But what's interesting is, of course, we get to verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel made up his mind with that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or wine with which he drank. And so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And, of course, you know, we know the story, right? He had, for 10 days... He is tested with you know, eating these vegetables, which I think is interesting. It's just seed pods that were feed that were fed to pigs, basically. Uh, you know, he had worse. These, yeah, exactly. The worst, right. the worst diet ever. Right. And uh, and, and water, and mm-hmm. to prove something there, 
but 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 there's there's two valuable lessons I think that are really important about um, about Daniel mm-hmm. there for us, right? Number one, Daniel was a guy who uh, was in it was in an environment that was fully trying to indoctrinate mm-hmm. him right. and make him forget everything That's about right. his heritage That's and right. his past. Yep. We are living in a society. Similar. We are being fully indoctrinated to forget. And mm-hmm. even talking about living in an anti-Christian age where the society itself is hostile mm-hmm. towards Christian truth right. and trying to make us embarrassed, right. ashamed, right. and afraid right. to believe and speak the truth that we live, sure. right? Sure. And so here, um, Daniel is is in this full indoctrination program. But what Daniel, but what's interesting is mm-hmm. Daniel didn't protest. Right. Participating in that, right? Uh, in fact, I find it fascinating yeah. that Daniel actually took on learning their sciences, mm-hmm. their literature, mm-hmm. their language, yeah. their politics. He tried to learn everything he could mm-hmm. about the culture in which he was living. But where he drew the line was really interesting. That's right. He drew the line over the issue of food. Mm-hmm. Now, for most of our folks, they may not say, "Well, that's kind of an odd mm-hmm. place to draw the line," right? I mean, because we would say, "Well, you know, I wouldn't participate in learning all that right. stuff," you know. Right. That would be where we would want to draw the line. But Daniel drew the line at the meal because in that context, if you shared a meal with somebody, if you shared at the king's table, then you are a participant and you are acknowledging that king. That's right. That's why he drew the line. Yeah. He said, it's exactly right. right. Yeah. And that's very important, right? Because Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar was viewed as a deity. That's right. Mm -hmm. And when you, and so when you, um, when you understand that context, Mm -hmm. Daniel was unwilling to accept that food from the king's table because to do so was for Daniel to acknowledge that Nebuchadnezzar is actually a deified king. Right, right. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going there. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, the guard was like, please, I'm going to lose my life. <laughs> right. He's scared to death. That's right, that's right. And yet, you know, we see his faithfulness right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that there's, there's a valuable lesson for us here. One, we do need to understand the culture in which we live. We need to understand as a church, we need to be able to understand the levels of indoctrinations that are taking place. We need to understand our culture. We need to understand the the, the, the philosophical and the cultural and the ethical influences that have been going on and the trajectories of where they're heading. Okay, and But then we also have to have wisdom and courage of when not to participate, of when to stand our ground. And... and and one of the things that's so beautiful to me about the story of Daniel and his three friends is when you get to Daniel chapter mm-hmm. 3. And in Daniel yeah. chapter 3, the, the, the fiery furnace, yeah. right? They, Daniel's three friends fully were mm-hmm. aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they were fully willing mm-hmm. to be burned alive right. in that furnace mm-hmm. by standing for the yeah. truth or whatnot. And they said, look, if God saves us, that's right. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or even if he doesn't rescue right. us, he's right. still the Lord. Right. And they were complete. well. Their allegiance shows us something that's consistent in Scripture mm. with a true church. That's right. If you align with the one true God and you are faithful to Him, and He's giving you the gift of faith, you will stand the test of time. Yeah. You will welcome these things. And what's interesting about these three guys, they didn't cower. That's right. They that's embraced right. the end result, which could potentially have been death. That's right. But God, in His supernatural power, saves them. That's right. And that's the kind of courage that we're going to have to have going right. forward. In the age of new persecution that's going to be coming, we're going to have to be a church that has to ask ourselves the question, mm-hmm. are we going to cower in fear because we're afraid of losing some benefits that we yeah. might be able to gain from that's the right. world? We're afraid of death. 
We're afraid of those kinds of things. Right. I mean, look, the, the reality is there are new forms of persecution that are coming. And, and, and a lot of it's not necessarily just really from government. Mm-hmm. I, I think that a lot of times um, when we think of things like persecution, mm-hmm. uh, we think of things like totalitarianism sure. and things like that. We, we kind of think about, um, especially for maybe my generation and older, uh, maybe we'll think about things like the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. They'll think of, you know, the Kremlin. Right. Yeah, right. They'll think of the Kremlin. They'll think of, you know, because, you know, you remember, you know, because back, yeah, yeah. back in the early 80s, everybody thought Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist because <laughs> right. he had that birthmark on his head, right? So that automatically <laughs> made the Antichrist. The <laughs> That's right. Um, but when we think about... Um, when we think about totalitarianism, we think about along in some kind of regime mm-hmm. format like right, that. Right. That's not today. Mm-hmm. You know, the new regime is big tech. Right. The new regime is big corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have what authors, what many cultural commentators have been describing as woke capitalism, yeah. right? You know, because the reality is, um, I mean, lo- look at the level of censorship mm-hmm. that has taken place over in, just in, in over the last year, even. Sure. As far as a very aggressive standpoint, I mean, you can be severely humiliated, stripped and punished, you know, by the keyboard mob and by the media mob if you don't comply with the new ethics of this new regime. Right. So whatever the value system and and that value system is fully embracing LGBTQ, fully embracing Black Lives Matter, fully embracing the kind of if if you don't support that or even if you question that, um, then you are stormed by the censorship of media okay. and your accounts can be canceled, your accounts can be closed, or you're shamed or whatnot. And you say, well, you know, I, I, look, I, here's what's interesting to me. Um, December the 17th, mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago, um, the International Monetary Fund on their blog released a white paper yeah. and talked about expanding ways of credit for people. Mm-hmm. Now, why don't you hang with me for a second here? Expanding ways of credit for people because they said, you know, there's always these non-typical type of entrepreneurs and innovators that are out there that um, have a hard time getting credit Mm -hmm. because they don't have maybe like, you know, you know, a a normal kind of like income or job or credit history or or those kinds of things that that are normal measures for somebody being able to get credit. Right. So they want to say, well, here's an idea. We can open up. You know, tying people's credit scores to maybe their online viewing histories, their online shopping, their social media, those kinds of things. And that can be used also as a way of gauging a person's credit score to give them, you know, to open up credit for them. So it sounds all charitable. Right. But I want you to think about that for just a moment. That, and and by the way, um, China already has right. the moving yeah. towards this, by the way, and they have a social scoring mm-hmm. system, right? And so uh, that it's already, um, you know, that has that they released a white paper on back in 2014 mm-hmm. or 16, I can't one of the two, and and said they were going to have it fully up and running by you know the end of the 2020. But but really, you think about what the IMF is, what they're suggesting there is that all of a sudden you've got people's ability to obtain mm-hmm. credit. To be able to to be an entrepreneur, to, to, to get money to start a business, or right, maybe to right. get a credit card, or maybe to get, uh, or maybe to get some level, maybe to, to buy a home, right, or right. to do something like that, is now could potentially be tied to mm-hmm. your online activity. Right. So, well, you know what we saw, we saw last year or the year before even, we saw big banks like Bank of America, mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan, 
guys like that that refused to do business with, say, gun gun manufacturers mm-hmm. because it violated this, their policies. Well, right. So this is the problem. Who who are the right. ones who are controlling this value system? Mm-hmm. And then they start controlling things like your purchases, mm-hmm. your uh, your online activities, your those kinds of things. Yeah. And that becomes a measure about which they view whether or not you're someone that's entitled to be able to have that kind of right. access to credit right. or access to funds. We're already living in an age where people, um, you know, your, your social media accounts are searched when you go to a job interview mm-hmm. or if you're going to a school or things like that. Um, and that's, that's, that's the shift that's coming, right? Mm-hmm. That evangelical, historic, Protestant Christianity is anathema. That is th- those those kinds of you know th- the ideas of you know heterosexuality and moral norms that are rooted in scripture or whatnot. You know um, you know to I- embrace you know uh, ownership of guns and gun rights and those kind of things. I mean, all that kind of stuff is going to be viewed by now the new regime controllers of the of setting up this value system. That, that is going to be reviewed as something that is now unsafe, right. uh, that is now the enemy, right. that has to be eradicated. Mm-hmm. And if you're a part of that group, you're going to be denied right. privileges of right. education, yeah, jobs, loans. It's going to hurt your livelihood. Yeah. That's the kind of new forms of persecution mm-hmm. that's going to be coming. Right. And the question for us is the same question that Augustine was asking. Are we going to cower right. in fear right. because we're afraid of losing the advantages that's that the exactly world right. can give us to offer, right. yeah. uh, can offer to us? Or are we going to stand firm and say, you know what? I may have to live in a tent the rest of my life. (laughs) That's right. You know, but I'd rather my allegiance. That's exactly right. But I'd rather my conscience be clear, my commitment to God's truth be, you know, to be uh, uh, to be full, Mm -hmm. um, and I'd rather face death uh, than I would uh, a a life of idolatry and caving Mm -hmm. into this new regime. Right. So I think it's a very, very. Uh, important lesson that Daniel presents Absolutely. to us as well, too. Right? Yeah, and one thing I find is interesting, too, when you brought it up earlier, is that Daniel leveraged his situation as a powerful Christian witness. No doubt. He didn't, he didn't waste his current situation. That's right. He dove in, he took the gifts that were given to him in the context that he was in, and he redirected it for the kingdom of God. That's I mean, right. you made a comment earlier. He essentially saved his people in a pagan nation. Absolutely. Which yeah. is crazy. I think that's amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, Daniel's, God revealing Daniel the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's, or actually revealed to him both the dream right. and his interpretation. Right. Right. Daniel did that. When Dan, when God did that for Daniel, Daniel not only provided salvation mm-hmm. for himself that's and for right. his friends, he also provided it for even the pagans the pagan who world. were against him. That's right. And and that's amazing, right? Yeah. Daniel, in many ways, is such a picture of the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, here you have the Lord Jesus, who was in, as Paul says in Philippians 2, was enthroned in glory. Mm -hmm. You know, he thought not, you know, equality with God, something to be grasped, right? You know, here the Lord Jesus Christ, but what is, but, you know, like Daniel, the Lord Jesus leaves Mm -hmm. his glory. Mm -hmm. He goes to a foreign land. He comes to, that's good. That's right. That's right. He he goes to another land. And all of that, you know, and, you know, Mm -hmm. and all that he does for the salvation of his people. The, the, the Judeans who survived Babylon were because of God sending Daniel, mm-hmm. providing Daniel right. as a way of protecting them and mm-hmm. helping them. Uh, you know, I, I've explained to our men you know, on our Friday morning study you know, that the, the main difference between the Assyrians and the Babylonians was mm-hmm. the Assyrians sought to eradicate the culture. 
and they dispersed the Israelites yeah. all over the place and just tried to breed them out, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but under Daniel, God protected the whole Judeans, yeah. provided them a little community in a camp over yeah. by the Kabar yeah. River, yeah. which is really more of a canal. But anyway, <laughs> but next to the Kabar Canal, the, 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 the Kabar River, God established them, set them yeah. up right there, protected them. Mm-hmm. But there's a valuable lesson here, too. Um, out of probably a half a million, 600,000 people that came over from, mm-hmm. from Judea mm-hmm. and um, yeah. went, uh, went over to Babylon, when the call came 70 years later or 63 years later or whatever by, you know, um, to that the Judeans could return to their homeland and rebuild the temple, mm-hmm. uh, Nehemiah tells us there was only 42,000. Right. How many were faithful? Yeah. Very small. I mean, you had, yeah. so basically you had essentially, um, you know, not even 10% mm-hmm. of the people who were a part of the, you know, their families yeah. are part of the exile yeah. who were even willing to go back to the homeland. And the lesson for us in that is that they got, they got too comfortable in Babylon. Yeah. They made it a new home. That's right. They Babylon became their new home right. and they forgot their homeland. Right. And I think that as evangelical Christians, that's one thing we got to be careful about yeah. is that we've got to wake up and make sure that we're not trying to make Babylon our home. Mm-hmm. Babylon is not our home. That's right. You know, uh, Babylon will be destroyed. Yeah. The new heavenly Jerusalem that's is right. our home. That's our, that's our, that's our future and, home. And, that's and, right. and Christ... <laughs> And, and like Daniel, God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to secure salvation for his people. He has gone ahead of them to secure, you know, this place and to preserve his people so that one day we can return, you know, to, to where spiritually we belong to, right? right? And that's this new that's kingdom. So, yeah. So, I know time is fleeting. No, no, um, that's right. So, how about just, let's just end on one last question. Okay. So, we've been talking about hope, eschatological hope. I mean, it's a big word. But... What does it mean for us to live with this in mind? What does it mean for us to live with eschatological hope in mind? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just the, some of the things we talked about, about, you know, one, um, we, we have to, we got to really guard our heart. We have mm-hmm. to know, man, we have to really ask the question, you yeah. know, do we really love the kingdom of Christ right. more than the kingdoms of this world? Yeah. Do, we, do we love Christ more than the benefits this world has to offer? Yeah. Are we willing to endure the suffering yeah. that this world may bring on the church for the sake of Christ? You know? Or, you know, are, are, we, are we willing to be denied, you know, certain schools, mm-hmm. certain careers, mm-hmm. certain credit, yeah. certain jobs, right. certain abilities to be able to do that? Are we willing to be able to be denied those things because we are willing to be able to endure a fiery furnace? Yeah. Uh, those are questions that I think we, we have to, Absolutely. we've got to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church has to, I mean, do we really have eschatological yeah. hope? Yeah. Do we? I that's mean, right. that's a that's a the most important question I think that we can ask mm-hmm. right now because um, if we don't have that real eschatological mm-hmm. hope, mm-hmm. it will lead to compromise that's of right. biblical convictions that's and right. truth. You know, um, but if Christ has saved us, if Christ has redeemed us, if, and then Christ also, when he, you know, Paul says in Ephesians chapter one that he plants within us, he gives us. Uh, the hope this a, 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 he gives us a foreshadowing a mm-hmm. foretaste he gives us a down payment of a future inheritance that we have That's right. that the that the giving of the spirit himself is that down payment of this future mm-hmm. inheritance that we will that we have right. do we long for that inheritance mm-hmm. um, or has our longing for that future inheritance been clouded out yeah. by the lust and the covetousness mm-hmm. and the hopes of this present age you know what? Our, our folks need to understand mm-hmm. 
get over the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I get why the nostalgia is there. Sure. I get why sure. the disappointment is there. I Absolutely. understand. I, and, and, and it breaks my heart too. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish that I could find affordable ammunition or even find ammunition <laughs> right now. You know, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, I understand why all that nostalgia is there. Okay. Right. But you have to be mature enough in your faith to recognize that when those things come to an end, right. when we have hit a new era, and this is a new era of coming persecution. Sure, and it's sure. going to come in very different ways in, in the past. Diverse, absolutely. Technology and everything and, like um, that. Yeah, and with, when, you take, when you combine the forces of, uh, of, um, of big corporation, mm-hmm. of big tech, mm-hmm. uh, woke capitalism, mm-hmm. um, social capitalism, um, and, and even surveillance capitalism mm-hmm. now, which, are, which is a huge thing. When you start combining the forces of these kinds of things, it, it is going to lead to... Um, mm-hmm forces of persecution that the church has never seen before sure. and it's forcing us to have to think about in that kind of a level and so um it, it, i think though that what what that means is we need to do a, a few things um n- number one we need we need to repent mm-hmm. we need to repent of any fears that we have that are greater yeah. than god yeah. we need to repent over our fear of death mm-hmm. our fear of loss of affluence we need to repent over fear of disease, sickness. We need to repent over fears of just uh, economic privations. Yeah. Uh, we need to uh, we need to repent over the fear of a, a general likability among mm-hmm. men. Uh, these mm-hmm. kinds of things. We need, our our fear of God oh, needs to right. be greater right. than any other fears that are found in this present that's right. world. Right? That's right. That's the first thing I think yeah. we need to do, and we need to. Uh, number two, we do need to ask this question about, you know, um, if, if, if Christ and his kingdom is truly all-encompassing for us, does it, is it comprehensive for mm. us? Do we truly believe all the claims of the Bible? That's right. And if we believe them, do we believe in the victory of Christ's salvation, mm. his atoning work, and the promises of his coming mm. again, you know? Yeah. His and our future resurrection. If we believe those things completely and fully, mm-hmm. um, does that shape and inform? Um, yeah. is, 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 is that informing now all of our life? You mm-hmm. know, um, and and in what ways is it not? And when right. it's not, let's challenge that. That's right. and, uh, and and lastly, I would say is that this means the church has got to start doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to make that statement because. Yeah. One, we, it doesn't mean that, I mean, we, we need to continue to preach boldly, but we need to think about the ways of doing discipleship. Sure. We, you know, we need to get serious about the way that we're training people. We need to get serious about doing, really studying scripture right. and like Daniel, being able to understand the Bible plus the world in which we're living. So that way we can be strategic and right. how we can be right. effective right. and and exposing the darkness of the age, right? These are the things that we, we're going to have to do. Man, we've got to think about uh, Christian education. We've got to think about educating our kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could make a plug real quick, on our Friday, on our Wednesday night studies, we're actually going to be doing this book uh, with, uh, with our men on Wednesdays because, as you and I have talked about, th- this is some of the content that we're going to be talking about um, on with the students the themselves. Students, yeah. We're going to be training and teaching the students of how to understand the, the Bible, mm-hmm. but then how to un, but then how you put that practically within the context of how they're living. That's but right. this is going to help our men, as mm-hmm. uh, many of them are our fathers, mm-hmm. 
understand how to reinforce those right. things in their home, so that way their kids understand the truth as well. So we've got to we've got to think through new strategies, how we protect each other. Right. We may have Christians who are going to lose their jobs. How do we how do we now begin to protect Christians that may face loss of jobs mm-hmm. because they took a stand and said, you know what, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take part yeah, in some kind of some yeah. kind of gay pride celebration yeah. or some kind of pride so that I lose my job. Right. So when that happens, are, are we as a church are we gonna be ready and prepared to rally around them and protect them and mm-hmm. do the kind of fellowship that Christ talked Absolutely. about? There's a lot of lessons from the early church yeah. mm-hmm. that we can learn. The writer of Hebrews said, Hey man. You, you accepted the seizure of your property because you had a greater kingdom. But you, know, you rallied around those who right. were in prison, mm-hmm. who, who were being persecuted. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we've got to learn. So I appreciate your mm-hmm. going back to the early church mm-hmm. because that first century Christianity yeah. Yeah. is a model that we've got to learn from Absolutely. because the anti-Christian age they lived in yeah. is the anti-Christian age we're moving, we're moving into. Towards. That's right. And we've got to learn their lessons. Exactly. You know, if there's one thing that, you know, we stress and one word we use, you know, repeatedly over the past couple of years is intentionality. You know, Absolutely. we think about what that word actually means it requires an action, you know. And so one thing that we do want to go back to is the, 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 the thing that was really encouraging us, we have the playbook in front of us. Mm. We have a direction from the Lord in front of us. What the, what, what the word of God before us is an invitation to believe that this is the way of life. Mm. And so as Christians, we have to dig into the Word. We have to dig into discipleship with each other. We have to be intentional with our prayers and pray for specific things because that's an active demonstration of our faith. If we are not intentional with what we have before us mm. that's written down, we, we can't have influence in this world. That's right. and, and just to end on, on, on you know, your last couple of comments, I love your reference back to Daniel and how he leveraged his Christian witness to impact the kingdom of God. Mm. This, that's the same calling for us today. Mm-hmm. God has given us teachers, counselors, businessmen, armed forces, single parents. There's a whole spectrum of people in our church. You have a Christian witness. And the way that you demonstrate that and present that to the world matters. Mm-hmm. And it is powerful. That's right. I think the one thing we have to remind ourselves today is, is it worth it though? Mm. Do we believe that our Christian witness and allegiance to Christ is worth it? Yeah. And so challenge our hearts. And if there are areas where we are struggling with that, today's an invitation to respond That's and right. ask God for forgiveness. That's right. And, um, you know, um, <clears throat> and not forgetting that our, um, we, we have to also remember that, um, the last comment I'll, I'll make is the church has to also not be guilty mm-hmm. of moving from loving our neighbor to despising our neighbor. That's right. Because maybe they, they don't share our worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a spiritual problem. That's right. Yeah. The battle that we're in is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. And and we have to recognize that, that, that people have been blinded by the God of this age. Mm-hmm. They're, their minds have been clouded over and blinded by the influence of Satan himself, the mm-hmm. kingdom and the power of darkness, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we, can, we can never lose sight of the fact that even though we may be, um, um, we, we may face persecution and people may hate us, we mm-hmm. can never return that. That's right. We can That's never right. lose sight of the That's fact right. we have to have compassion on those who are lost because they are spiritually lost. Because, and you know what? 
Um, even Christians who lived under uh, the totalitarian regimes of the Soviet Union, you know, mm -hmm. they never let themselves become um, controlled or embittered mm -hmm. by anger right. or any of those things, uh, controlled by their embitterment or their anger. And you know what? Um, you know, nor did Polycarp, we talked about them earlier, or the early Christians. I mean, they were praying for those That's who right. were persecuting them. That's we right. can't lose sight of that. That's we got to, right. even if the, even if our culture despises us, even if mm -hmm. people want to see us stripped That's down, right. imprisoned, and and absolutely, you know, uh, stripped of, of any mm -hmm. kind of benefits of this life or whatever, we not only we can not only have hope in the kingdom that's to come and let that uh, you know give us great joy and hope for the future, but that same joy and hope also can translate into loving our neighbor, praying for them, praying for their conversion, for their salvation, and being and even willing, you know, sacrificing uh, you know our our lives, sacrificing everything for the kingdom because we believe a greater kingdom is coming, right? and so we want to be careful about that. Absolutely. And so church family, you know, we've talked about a lot of things, especially, mm. you know, in relation to today's cultural climate. But there's one thing that we can remind you of is that if you have authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is all you need. That's right. And that will carry us through the situations we're going through right now. Mm. And so cling on to that hope. And maybe, maybe, maybe you might be, you know, engaging in the word of God. And I encourage you, you know, if you're studying the men's Bible study on uh, on Fridays, read the book of Daniel. If you're not, read it as well. Look at how God works through this one man's life mm. in a situation that is almost similar to ours. Mm. The Lord is in control. We cannot lose sight of that. But he has given us a power because of the resurrection of Christ that we can live in spite of the times and demonstrate to this world we're living for a different kingdom. That's right. You know, if you don't mind, I'd like to end with just, you know, what one comment from one scholar. Mm. He says this, the church is to live as an alternative city mm. by not separating itself into sectarian isolation, but by bearing witness like Daniel and his friends before kings and rulers. Mm. The aim is not to damn, but to redeem. Amen. And that's the church. Yeah. We are Absolutely. here salt and light as pictures of redemption of Christ. Mm -hmm. well, let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, thank you that we who have faith in Christ mm -hmm. have been redeemed. That's God, you have delivered us. Lord, I think about um, that we were before faith, Lord. We were children of wrath. Mm -hmm. Lord, we deserve your wrath. Mm -hmm. We deserve your judgment. We, we had no inheritance in your kingdom. Mm -hmm. We had no part with you. Um, but Lord, through the redemption that we've been given through your son, the Lord Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, Lord, through his faithful work, through his atoning death on the cross, Lord, mm -hmm. through his victory and the resurrection and Lord through his ascension and the promise of his return Lord we have hope Lord mm -hmm. we we have a hope Lord that uh, Peter describes as un, un unblemishing unfadable mm -hmm. uh, it's unfading and Lord it is uh, uh, um, and, and it's and it will never perish it will That's never right. die That's right. father we have this and Lord um, mm -hmm. we around us we see a whole world and society mm -hmm. that's placing hope Lord in wrong things. Mm -hmm. Lord, they they don't rather than believing that they are significant significant mm -hmm. because of their being because they're made in God's image, mm -hmm. Lord, they've made sexual pleasure sure. and sexual identity, Lord, the, the the sum and the substance of their uh, of their identity as humanity, mm -hmm. and Lord, they, Lord, a, a, a culture that is blinded by the philosophies 
and by just the satanic idolatries, mm-hmm. Lord, of, of the devil himself, Lord, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Mm-hmm. God, help us as those who are children of the light, who bear witness to the light, and who are supposed to be salt and light. Mm-hmm. Help us, Lord, to bring the truth. Lord, help us not to despise our neighbor. Help yes. us to love our neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, help us to pray for those who are kings and authorities yes. and rulers and politicians yes. and those who are influencers. Help us to pray for those who do not pray for us but despise mm-hmm. us and hate us. Lord, help us to pray for persecutors. Help us, Lord, to pray for those who are trying to to wield mm-hmm. a new value system that will seek to punish us, Lord, mm-hmm. for, for the truth that we believe. Help us to pray for them, Lord. And God, help us, Lord, to uh, to be faithful mm-hmm. in the midst of uh, a, a new era of darkness, mm-hmm. Lord, that we're moving into. Help us, Lord, not to be naive, mm-hmm. but help us, God, to be thoughtful mm-hmm. and to be, as Josh said, Lord, intentional mm-hmm. uh, in the way, Lord, that we live and act. Mm-hmm. And so, God, that we can and, um, you know, Lord, see that the that your people, mm. um, Lord, are are firmly committed to gospel truth, mm. to biblical truth, to living out that orthodoxy, mm-hmm. and, um, and and Lord, and and not judging others, but Lord, instead loving others with mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, um, because as you taught, Lord Jesus, um, uh, those who are outside of Christ have been judged already. Uh, Lord, we don't need to judge those. Mm-hmm. We just need to communicate the gospel of truth to them. Help us to be faithful in that. Uh, help us, Lord, to just rest securely in your love, mm-hmm. rest securely in your salvation, and be and Lord, our, and and rest in the hope that we have that you have given. Mm-hmm. So, God, help us to do this as your people. And thank you for first loving us, mm-hmm. enables us to now love you. And so we praise you in all for, and, and ask for your grace and assistance in all of these things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Covenant Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. At Covenant, we strive to provide a fellowship that is sound in doctrine, biblical in practice, and loving in our relationship with each other and the community. For more from our elders and teachers, please visit us at covenantbapt.org. That's covenantbapt.org for teachings, articles, and more information about our community.